Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Back once again, episode nine of the Total Bees She's Show so happy to be back for another one, and this is an action-packed episode, Mike. We've got a lot to get to on this one. I don't want to waste too much time, but I do want to remind you folks, check out our social media because it is the bomb. We've got the best social media team out there. I don't care what anybody says. Total B She's on Instagram and on Twitter. Search Total B She's on Facebook and search Total B She's, especially on YouTube. We're getting some great content going up there. Everybody's talking about it. Mike, this is a big week and big news in the world of professional wrestling. The big guy, he's stepping aside. So you want to talk about Vince McMahon first? I, I do. I know we, we try to shy away from the big guys. Yeah, we have he, a rule about not talking about mainstream wrestling. I broke it last week, and now you think the floodgate is open. Uh, we can't not talk about this. This is huge. Vince is stepping aside yeah. as CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah. So let's be clear. He's stepping aside, not stepping down. He's taking basically what's a leave of absence while an investigation goes on that's going to either clear him of wrongdoing or not. Now, as I understand it, there was a $3 million payout as, as attached to a non-disclosure agreement with somebody he had what he calls a consensual affair with, right? right? Why didn't he just pay the $3 million out of pocket? Why did he use corporate funds? Because Vince McMahon is a greedy man. Yeah. And and if he can pay for it out of the company's pocket and then write it off yeah, somehow. Yeah, but that's what's got him. In, I believe that's what got him into trouble. If it was his own money, he likely has no trouble. Yeah, you would think so, unless she's she's the one who's spearheading this. And then, uh, then it doesn't matter where the money comes from. His only statement on it was it was consensual. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so weird. Like, because the story has so many layers, there's layers that Vince passed her on to, to Johnny Ace. Well, cause Johnny is somehow implicated in something similar or the same situation. Yeah. So I don't know if they're trying to make Johnny Ace the scapegoat or, I mean, he's, <sighs> he's got enough dirt on his hands already, probably. So I, I love Dutch Mantel for his storytelling ability and his ability to be, to cut right to the right to the heart of the matter. And I was listening to something he had to say about this. And he said, it probably goes deeper than this one particular female. Oh yeah. And that there's probably been NDAs with other women who've left the company, probably divas. And I heard this way back in 2010. I remember one of the guys that I brought in that had WWE experience saying it, Kevin Dunn could be implicated in stuff like this. Johnny Ace or John Laurinaitis definitely could be implicated in stuff like this. And that Vince was one of the worst of them. So if it, go, if it does go back that far, and I have no real inside knowledge other than stories I got told, it's, it's going to be bad in today's day and age because, hey, he's at an age where he, he should be looking for the successor anyway. Yeah. Um, it, he has to answer to shareholders. This is not simple. Just because he's such a big power broker in the company and owns a lot of stock and has been able to call his own shot forever, he may not be able to call his shot as the investigation continues and they find out it might have been, if it was behavioral, Yeah. then he's going to be in some trouble. I, yeah. I Like, I think, he, honestly, I mean, I don't have any information, but I think he's done. Like, uh, there's no way that there's not a slew of others that are going to come forward. I, I don't just, think you can jump to the conclusion he's done. I, I, but I would he, bet on it. But his power base in the company could diminish significantly. Yeah. 
uh, if the stock price has been performing quite well, about 60, 60 some dollars uh, per share, which is up from two or three years ago, it had gotten down to 40. Yeah. But it's not at its peak where it was at 90 at one point. If the stock price starts to take a beating and if, if there's a lack of confidence, because now he's the head of, he's still involved in creative. Yeah. And that's where I think he's really bad at. Um, but like, you got to think if you're Bruce Pritchard right now and you're, and you're Stephanie McMahon and you're Paul Levesque, you are all sitting there going, what happens next? Nick Khan was a Vince McMahon hire. Yep. And obviously he might be positioned to end up as the CEO eventually. Right now it's interim CEO, Stephanie McMahon. But this is kind of a situation where WWE could end up for sale or the, like, I guess shareholders could decide that they want somebody else to run or to navigate the company. And it might be somebody that doesn't have the name McMahon. No, no. And I always thought that they were going to sell WWE anyways. That's what I've thought the past few years have been about. It's mm. been about preparing for a big sale. And I personally thought it was going to be to HBO or Disney. Honestly. Yeah. And it still might be, it might be to P uh, to NBC or Peacock, Peacock or whatever. Yeah. Right? But at the end of the day, it's always been that the McMahon family either, Vince or Stephanie or H are going to end up running that company, even if with the different ownership, not anymore, but it could be, it could be stigmatized. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a big, it's a big story. I obviously followed it the last couple of days and I, I've talked to people about it, but it's not something, it's not really like when TNA was in business and, and you'd hear that, Oh, Vince Russo's out or Vince Russo's in or Dasha. And, and you always thought, well, if the right booker got there with that TV and that talent, Oh, they could really do something. Yeah. In WWE, the way it is, and now here would be a problem. If it, the story comes out, it gets worse and Vince's behavior was worse and these NDAs are covering something very bad, then you might see broadcast partners pull away from the brand, right? That would be disastrous for WWE as a brand. And so I don't know how bad it gets, but if this was consensual, she left the company on her own accord, she got $3 million and then broke and then got the word out there she's not winning. So I don't think she's the one pushing the story. I think somebody found out about it and, and looked further. Yeah. Stormy Daniels. Oh, you remember that whole thing with Donald Trump? She broke her. NDA. She was a scam though. It had proven Michael Avenatti was, and I'm not a Trump supporter. No, no, no but she, broke, I don't she even broke, want to go she here broke because an NDA. I mean, we're not, yeah. we're not talking about, yeah, but, any, uh, we're not getting any political, yeah. but, but she seemed to skate. She got out of it. She, she skated by, I mean, we haven't heard any, she's not. In yeah. Jail. But her lawyer, who was on CNN every day. And at one point they were talking about him being a democratic candidate in 2020. Good call. He was a scam artist. A lot of times this is someone who found, who found a sniff of a story and is trying to really blow it up. Yeah. They're right. They're trying to suss it out. Now, two adults, if they had a consensual relationship and if she leaves the company and he decides, I don't want her talking about this for whatever reason, he should have given her three, three million out of pocket. Yeah. And, I would imagine it's problem solved. I believe the issue is $3 million of company money going for an NDA. Well, that's there, there's the paper trail. I mean, that's the yeah. big paper trail and that's the way they, it seems like all of these high powered people, that seems to be how they get caught is the paper trail from the yeah. NDA. So, I mean, like Vince has been out of touch for a while. Like, like there's no way that Vince McMahon doesn't have $3 million sitting in a safe somewhere that he could just have pulled out and given it to her in a duffel bag. Like just mafia stuff. Or he could have went to the bank and got a cashier's check. Pretty easy. You know what though? Like, when I talk about mainstream wrestling, it's kind of out of my element. 
Yeah, me too. Right? Like, and, and not that I couldn't, like, I just don't care about it. I, I, I really don't. Like, WWE has not interested me in so long. If you showed me 20 pictures of the roster, I would only know five of them. Yeah. Same. And that's because that's how disconnected I am to their roster. And last week I went off on AEW. I could do that again. But what I can, when I talk about local wrestling, it's stuff I can affect change on. Right. And, and, and I'm not an egotistical prick anymore. I used to be. I don't think I can magically wave a br- like paintbrush and paint a beautiful picture with with independent wrestling promoters. But when I've when I've brought up stuff and I've had interaction with with promoters, it's been it's been pretty pretty good, right? Yeah. Speaking of which, CWE, they've got a storm's blowing in. James yeah. Storm, former TNA champion, he's coming through Central Canada. He's doing two dates in Manitoba, Winnipeg and Dauphin, and that company. Winnipeg Pro Wrestling yeah. had their second sellout recently. Yeah, and they've got they've got a sellout for their for their show. They they do movie titles for their for, yeah. the, for their shows, and it's a don't tell mom the referee's dead. It's September 9th. Yeah, and it's sold out already. It's last I ch- I just checked today, and it said five tickets, and that was a few days ago. Yeah, five tickets I, remaining. So I assume, and I thought that was a marketing play the last time I saw it, and then they announced the sellout like four weeks before the date or three weeks before the date. But September 9th, and they're they're saying it's a, a sellout. Like, well, uh, I, so their magic is that they've got this big ticket base. I don't know who it is. But like I've asked around and like one of my friends told me like, listen, they have this group that supports them and buys the ticket before they even like, they just love the event that yeah. much to have that is like an, it's like a, having an ace in your, in your deck is even it's like having pocket aces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever that saying is. I love what they're doing. There's things that I don't like some of their names of shows. It doesn't, it's not clicking to me. Yeah. Right. Like when you call your show, whatever, like don't tell mom the referee's dead. Yeah. Is the ref dead? No. Is he going to die? Perhaps. Okay. So (laughs) yeah, like it's, it's a weird theme. It's like, I saw another one that said famous last words. What were the words? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like if you're going to name your show something like I remember I called it harsh reality. Well, I wanted the show to have a harsh reality feel or when I named it chapter one, it was our first show. Yeah. Like I always, and it gets hard to name shows. It really does. It's quirky and it's kind of like what today's wrestling is with a little bit of quirk to it. And you call it Gaga and I call it like yeah. hard. It doesn't resonate with me. I still like badass heels beating up baby faces, baby faces selling for sympathy and the story going from there. I like when, when it seems like wrestler A and wrestler B hate each other. And to be clear, we haven't been to a WPW show, no. so we don't know that it's not like that. It probably is like that too a degree we're just talking about the, yeah the title i'm talking itself. out of my rear end right now because i haven't seen it exactly but, but i've watched their marketing yes i've watched their presentation from pictures what a job now here's things that they could do better get an 18 foot ring yeah you're using a 16 foot ring and th- these independent promoters don't even realize they don't catch it if you run a tag team match in a 16 foot ring you it's very hard to hit a hot tag because cutting off a 16 foot ring the guy should still be able to reach far enough because he's six feet tall and if his partner stretches in three feet and yeah like from the middle yeah you can almost it it doesn't it doesn't work very well like to cut off a ring that way is tricky 18 foot ring is important if you're doing any video production whatsoever if you're using a heavyweight you might think he looks bigger but it looks like he's wrestling in a very small space yes so you got to get to an 18 that's one thing they should do better and their names on shows like 
I, I'll give them a pass on that. They're selling out. They're doing something that's not easy to do. 350. Yeah. They're renting a venue. That's one of my big pet peeves a is promoters venue running venues that they can get for free because they don't want to have to pay to get a venue. But I'm I'm proud of them. I think they're what they're doing is great. I keep saying like I'm going to go to one of these shows one of these times. I, but the, the tickets sell. They they sell out so quickly that I, I think we might be inv- invited guests to the next show. Well, that would be great. Yeah. I would love to go and yeah. And, no and fighting in public like you do when before we go live all on the. Per- right, yeah, you gotta right. we gotta put out the image that we get along. On everything <laughs> we, we do yeah what are you talking about? yeah we do uh i do want to circle back to cwe though and james storm because we kind of brushed over that and that's i didn't that, brush over that that's a huge name like james i got a text from I said from, from danny yeah and and he was saying hey we got james storm coming in come check out the show because he knows i like cowboy james storm yeah and i was like yeah yeah man like i'm i'm in for that i yeah. really you're gonna have him. to send me a complete stooge report because i'm gonna be at the bomber game but let me tell you something that if i was still if wfx was running and james storm was a free agent he'd be one of my top guys yeah because he's a he's a perfect baby face his career is incredible part of tna's top tag teams ever beer money is one of the best tag teams in the last 20 years in the business definitely and he was a heavyweight champion he has a million dollar look this is great winnipeg wrestling fans are getting a treat there yeah this is a guy that quite honestly even though like he's he's had a long career he's got lots in the tank he looks amazing Mm. this is a guy that potentially you could see on national television honestly anytime but like I, I would not be surprised within the next year. Well, you think so, but he's also maybe at an age where he doesn't want to travel and anymore. Maybe, yeah, maybe he doesn't Because there's to. a reason why for the last two years he hasn't been at AEW or WWE. And he loves wrestling. You yeah. can, like, you can tell by the way he, he And there's got to be himself. something, like, I'm just speculating here, but it, it, Impact Wrestling's doing their 20th anniversary this year. Yeah. And he's not a part of that, so there, obviously he maybe doesn't want to go back and do Impact. He maybe has done all he could do there. There but, could be heat. Yeah, I don't think there's heat. Scott Demore doesn't have heat with too many people, but maybe Impact just doesn't have the budget. And, and that's... That could be. Yep. Uh, Mike, speaking of wrestling, speaking of local guys who've done wrestling, you want to open up a can of worms. I didn't know if, if we should Me? be doing Yeah, I didn't know if we should be doing this, but you finally said, because I've been poking you and prodding you about this for a long time, we need to tell the, the real story, the whole story yeah. of WFX. And you were reticent. We to- we've talked about this before privately, Yeah, but you were a little bit reticent. We even talked about this on a podcast, but you were a little cagey back then even. And, <laughs> and, and, and now we're not... I'm going to get you to tell the story. It's what I'm telling you. We're good. I'm going to pull the story out of you. That's going to start next week because we got too much to talk about this uh, this week. But let me say this. Everybody has an opinion of what WFX was or what it accomplished or why it didn't continue and where I failed, where I succeeded, where, how we put the roster together, whether guys got paid. I've heard every possible story about WFX. Let me tell you something. If you go to YouTube right now and you search the Total B She Show, there's 13 episodes of WFX Overload. You get to judge for yourself. I will let that, that body of work stand for itself. I would never need to talk about it in order to, I don't need to talk about that to put myself over but i am going to tell stories that people don't know like why didn't it continue past i guess it was august of 2010 and then we tried one last show in october 2010 there's more to that story than ever met the eye and from how we created the roster how much did a tv episode cost how much how did you how did you have millions of dollars how much did you spend i'm going to go through it all and you get to guide the conversation i'm going to be as honest as you take me you get to you get to push me you get to ask questions you get to say hey i heard this story and i'll tell you what's true there's only one or two areas where i'll say i'm not willing to go to out of respect for innocent people sure but 
other than that, I'm going to tell every detail that you take me to. It's going to take a bunch of episodes, but like everyone wants to know, like, was Jeff Dick a bad guy? No, hell no. The guy put endless money into local wrestling. He was a gift. Yeah. The fact that he entrusted me to run the show just shows he's a smart man. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the entire WFX story, if you ask me, we will go there, including, you know, the CWE WFX coexistence at that time and how that worked. Okay. Uh, And you know what else we have today? We have such a packed show. We've got Mm. a guest coming on the show from last week to help us with the finale of Heels. We've got Scott Mason back from the Play Like a Jet podcast. He's coming on with us. Very excited about that and very popular with the B-She's fans. People yeah. are saying, that guy knows what's up. He added a lot to the conversation of heels. Definitely. And he was able to somehow compare Paul Heyman to Herb Abrams of UWF fame. So if he can do that, he can roll with us. Yeah. Also, later on, we do have an interview with Bobby Sharp, who's on the comeback trail. Later on? No, we're coming back with Bobby. I don't want to wait to get Bobby on the show. Bobby's one of my boys. Uh, all right, let's get Bobby on right after this. Yeah. This episode of the Total Bees Sheets Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Sheets Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESSHEES. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. And now on the line with us, we have a guy who's on the comeback trail. Bobby Sharp. Mike, you set this up. So happy to have Bobby on here. Bobby, how's it going, buddy? Going good. It's great to be on here and uh, talk to you guys again. I haven't spoken to Mike in quite a while, so it's nice to hear from you, man. Things are going pretty good with the podcast and everything. Yeah, I'm having fun talking about wrestling, uh, having a (laughs) podcast, being able to try to give advice to guys, and uh, just doing what I probably always did, being a (laughs) know-it-all. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I like it because it's just like nobody really talks about the local scene. at all really because i mean like there's so much stuff that's gone on in the last like 20 years here that i love these i love these stories i love hearing what what happened back in in 2005 in winnipeg and stuff like that and all these all these places that you talk about so Oh, you, I enjoy it. First, you should <laughs> you should see the list of stories I actually have that I haven't told yet that people have sent me. A few from Calgary, <laughs> a few from Edmonton. So you broke in at like an ob- obscenely young age, right? Yeah, I'd say too young because I started training when I was like the first bump I ever took. I was twelve. Oh, and then it was just yeah. <laughs> That's usually a so, second uh, generation yeah. wrestler kind of thing breaking in that young. It was uh, it was kind of just everything fell into place because I met a friend at school and his dad was a referee for the local uh, company here, CCW, and is run by a, a gentleman named Robert O'Keefe. And they were in Edmonton yeah. in 2000, 2001. Yeah, I, uh, I wrestled so for then, them once. <laughs> so did you wrestle at Reds? They, they ran uh, a really nice venue at West Edmonton Mall. Nope. They uh, had a lot of upside, but um, yeah. I wrestled in a small town. I can't remember what it was called. It was me and Steve Stryker as a tag team against Hannibal, who I think was Steve Gillespie, maybe? And, uh, who was his partner? I can't remember who his partner was, but one of the spots where, uh, 
<laughs> Steve Stryker and I were heels and we got whipped into each other. And when I hit him, I hit him so hard. It, he called it a standing spear, but I thought I broke my ribs and refused to tag in the rest of the match because I thought I was hurt. So uh, I can't remember what the town was called, but it was like 10 minutes outside of Edmonton. It was a good time. And Robert O'Keefe and I think Chris Henninger, Chris, uh, Chris Wayne was the Chris booker. Wayne, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So you, you were 12 years old and you started training? Yeah, so so through them to the referee, uh, I guess they just kind of wanted, Chris Wayne was starting a school or something along those lines here with the company. And basically me and a couple of friends were able to sign up, but they were, they were all 14. I was 12 turning 13, like within two months. I wouldn't say it was anything crazy, rolls, bumps, chain wrestling, but yeah, we started with Chris Wayne then. And then there was another guy uh, that's a bit of a character in his own right named Dylan Powers, who wrestled as the orderly. And he's um, a bit of a character in, in a different type of sense. He was as carny as they come, basically. He basically was the type of guy that would take our money, beat us up, and then not really show us anything. So he was that type of guy. So that was my first experience. Dylan Powers. Well, was years of, yep. Okay, Dylan so it Powers. wasn't Steve Gillespie I wrestled against that night. It was Dylan Powers. I hope Steve's not frustrated uh. with that comparison there. It was Dylan Powers, <laughs> and, and the he was called the orderly. You just jogged the my orderly. memory. Wow. Uh, I was going to say, maybe it was, because when you said the Hannibal match, because Gillespie wrestled as, well, he did like another one, Michael Myers or something, like or Jason, I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. Um, no, it was, yeah, it was Dylan was, Powers, yeah. I now remember. You just corrected okay. me. Good. Perfect. Oh. So f f you were 12 years old, and then tell it, so you went from there. How did you end up with Massive? Massive Damage. So then uh, Massive, I don't know his, his origin of coming to Edmonton, but he decided to start a company here in Edmonton with uh, King Lau and um, Max Power, which is Jeff Thomas, who actually just kind of passed away. Yeah, a sad story. Ago. But uh, anyway, the three of them were going to start a company, and I think it was, it was based in doing the school and having a company grow on the school. So they, instead of starting, we're going to go uh, team up with Robert and mm. go forward instead of, you know, be the school. And then, so when they came and had the meeting with uh, Orderly and Robert and stuff, things didn't really go too well. And things were really like, I guess the Orderly was, was, was argumentative and needed <laughs> to be like right about everything. And the story I heard was that Massa was, was talking about how he was going to, you know, train the guys like more than just wrestling. We trained them to shoot, fight and stuff like that. And the orderly apparently was like, if you want to shoot with me, let's go outside and shoot. And pulled out a switchblade. <laughs> pulled out a blade. <laughs> pulled out a switchblade. So that was because then basically Jeff and King were like, you know, this is a business meeting. This isn't no, hey, let's go be pro wrestlers. Let's go out. You know, we don't want anything to do with these uh, yeah. maniacs. As the, the next couple months went on, Robert O'Keefe ran a show. He was going to bring in Jim Neidhart for Jim Neidhart no-showed. And uh, he had to do, like, basically there were three people there. And he refunded maybe 250 tickets oh. that night. They, an they announced at the start of the show, no Jim Neidhart. And, and people, people got up left. and went to the, we want our we money back. And, yep. and Jim yep. would have been I, in Calgary. I, so that would have been a two hour drive. Yeah. I don't know what, why he didn't show. I don't know. The whole, I just know he didn't show. Oh. And that was, that was their last show. So then when they shut down, Massive basically was like, well, I got to take, you know, I'm already starting the school. So he was already talking to a couple of the, the local guys that broke in around a bit before us, like the J.D. Michaels guys. Good and guy. Walt. So they basically kind of opened the door for us to come over. So what I think happened is that J.D. approached Massive and told him, hey, there's these four kids and they're all interested in wrestling, blah, blah, blah. They're all 15, 14 now. Massive saw, hey, I can do a whole division with these guys. Yeah. And I can do a whole school with these guys, right or wrong. Looking back on it, I would say I, I wish I didn't break in as early as I did, but I can't change it now. I think it gives you but, a hell of a good story, actually. <laughs> 
at the time it was the best. Yeah. I was like, you know what I mean? I'm 14 to 15 and I get to be a part of these shows and more than just like setting up the ring. We're just training. We're doing a lot more than See, what most kids, kids get to do at that age. Too. Yeah. So I love massive damage and, and the idea that he had was actually ingenious because one of the things that I encourage promoters to do is not just market to wrestling fans, right? Expand your market mm-hmm. by getting you guys in at 14 or 15. You guys are in school talking about, yeah, we're wrestling on Saturday. And people are probably thinking, oh, you guys, that fake wrestling, or, or you guys are so full of crap. But then when they see mm-hmm. pictures that you're actually in a wrestling ring and having matches, then you're going to see a whole bunch of kids that are in high school going to shows because they want to figure out how they can get in. That's actually exactly. not, a, it was yeah. not a bad idea at all by Massive. And, and when you really look at it from that perspective, it's a guaranteed 50 tickets if you have seven kids on the show or seven kids helping out because that's seven parents, that's a parent, maybe some brothers and sisters that are probably going to come to every show, which they did. Yeah. So in that sense, like that was, and because it, it might've started with just the four of us, but it actually expanded because uh, now that he has four kids there, a parent will bring their kid and see, oh, there's already... You know what I mean? It's not like you're, you're bringing your kid and the first person you see is massive damage and there's no other kids around. Yeah. You're bringing your kid to, to see this training camp and you look in the ring and you see four other kids training and stuff and you feel a little bit better, but okay, I'll pay the tuition, yeah. sign them up for the school. Cause like after we started, like a bunch of people came in that were under 18, like 15 and 16 year olds. I bet massive regretted it in the sense of like dealing with all the hormones, but yeah. from, <laughs> from, a, from a business perspective, yeah, like, you we know, had a whole division set up. And all all of those young guys that came through around your time, they were all really great young men. Like Tom McDonald was a great, great guy. And uh, who else do I remember from that? Uh, he- heavy heavy Metal's one. Heavy Metal, who I, I love him. He still yeah. has my tapes mm-hmm. and he won't send them back. But yeah. other, than, <laughs> other than that, he's, he's, he's one of the great ones. Because of that, though, because like, I met you at a very young age, I always think mm-hmm. of you as a kid. You're a married man. You've had a hell of a career. But I always think of you as this young, young man. And you're... <laughs> never gonna get yeah yeah like never gonna get over that. are you like 30 years 30 years old now or what i'm th- i'm 33 33 so you've been around the yeah. business 20 years that's incredible yeah. it's gonna be 20 years and 2000 for my first match in 2023 will be 20 years for my wow. first match oh, that's good i'm glad yeah. you're able to come back for it let's move on to after you leave Mo- uh, monster pro wrestling you really made a name for yourself after Monster Pro, where you kind of became the uh, one of the big deals from Alberta, if if anyone was booking talent out of Alberta, they wanted to talk to you. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty cool. I wish I was a little bit more prepared and knew that that was happening because, like, it happened without me really even knowing. Because to me, I just wanted to work wherever I could, mm-hmm. so I would make contacts with like, and you know, it wasn't hard to really make. I, I guess it wasn't too hard to make contacts to go and just talk with people because then, like, between yourself and then Danny Duggan helped me. Yeah. Danny helped me a lot out in Winnipeg because then he would introduce me to all the promoters out there and a lot of the promoters in Saskatchewan. Uh, and so then I just kept in contact and then, you know, I try not to be a piece of shit and they usually like bringing you back out over and over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> and then exactly because I also feel like I filled that role that nobody was doing at the time because the generation, I always felt personally, you had the under 18 or whatever you wanted to call us, the MPW guys. We were all so young versus the guys that we were learning from. There was like a 10 year gap. It felt like, where there was nobody there, you know, 
it was like from 1992 to 1999, there really wasn't, as far as Edmonton goes, maybe Calgary, but as far as Edmonton goes, there wasn't much going on. So once we all started, we filled that gap and then became, basically, I became the contact for a lot of guys. And I didn't even realize it was happening until like it reached a point where it was like, yeah, usually I would be the guy that would put the carloads or find the workers to go out and was able to have tons of matches before I even turned 18. How old were you when you did your first Northern tour for Tony Candelo? Uh, I have a date right here. <laughs> you did your prep. It was 2005. Yeah. Uh, how old would I have been? I believe I was 15 on the tour. 15. Can you do a Tony Candelo imitation? Hey. <laughs> hey. That's about all I can do, but yeah, I, I can do a Tony, yeah. a Tony Candelo doing Stu Hart is all I can do. <laughs> I think that's what everyone does yeah. for a Tony Candelo yeah. imitation. My Tony imitations, like his facials and his mannerisms. Yeah. One of a kind though. Like <laughs> I worked for Tony when I was 18 as a referee and I, what a, like I learned way more from being around Tony and Tony's crew than I learned. Like, was that kind of the first big leap for learning for you when you got to on Tony's tour? Yeah, that was the, uh, I only want to say like the, the graduation from working with just the guys I've trained with to now. Cause once we're on the tour, you can't really pick and choose who you're wrestling. You can't really do that kind of stuff. Granted, it was a group of us from Edmonton. It was actually the first time I wrestled anybody I had never trained with. It was the first time I had been on the road cause I'd only wrestled in Edmonton. Uh, it was also like, so basically it was the first time I had done a lot of things, calling matches on the fly, having things change. It was my first battle Royal. So basically it went from a very, um, it's weird to describe, but if, if I say protected environment, maybe some people will understand what I, I mean. I get that term, definitely. Yeah. So it went from that into like... The real world, comple- basically. Completely. Yeah, completely. Like That's something I've always said about guys that stick in one place. It's like it's protected here. Yeah. When, like, and you don't know until you see it elsewhere. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that was definitely the first. I always said after that, because that's when the Northern Tour was six weeks. We did... Uh, 30 shows in like 15 or 16 communities or wow. something. And, and that's where you would spend like the, the weekend at a school and stuff where yeah. you would go and do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then like the Saturday, Sunday, for whatever reason, they wouldn't have shows. <laughs> so you'd be stuck wherever. Uh, Cause the school was closed. Yeah, so, sleeping yeah, on a gym mat. Six, six yep. Sleeping on the gym mat, you know, cooking your food, all that, all that fun stuff there. Yeah. So they, yeah. So not only, so, not only was it like a learning experience and like a, a, a leap in knowledge as far as the wrestling goes, I am now at 15 years old having to basically live a bachelor life and cook for myself <laughs> and clean. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> a bachelor life sleeping on a gym, on a gym yeah. mat in a room yeah. full of other wrestlers. Um, yeah. So you're, I would say this about you. You're kind of known as that, that guy with long hair and a phenomenal physique. How did you put that together? What, like, how old were you when you started to put the physique together? And you always had long hair since you were a teenager when I met you. So the long hair came from laziness. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just started growing it out. And then I started getting, uh, so being a shy kid, whatever, going to puberty, I started getting a lot of compliments. And then it just kind of stuck as far as long hair goes. And a lot of people like it. Even when I cut it, people didn't like it as much. Yep. I have cut it since then, gone short. They didn't like it. So I, I'm throwing it back out. So with the gym, I mean, like, Obviously, like my favorite wrestlers were always in shape, so I always knew that okay, wrestlers need to work out type of thing. So when it came down to that, there's a there's a guy Johnny Handsome, so you know him. Pretty yeah, well. I know him but very well. He's a big vanilla, big gorilla. jacked up guy. So big jacked up guy, and he was training at one of our schools. So he took me into the gym for for a week and showed me workouts and everything. And I actually had a blast. Like I, one of the things I'm happy about wrestling was that it opened the door to introduce fitness to me. Yeah, because I'm I'm going to work out for the rest of my life unless I get paralyzed. You know, it's it's just how it is. But 
So I worked with worked out with him for a week, and then I remember at the end of the week, I was kind of like, "Hey, like I don't see anything. I, I just feel sore." And he's like, "Well, you got to do it every day." So like, what do you mean? He's like, "You can't like just because you worked out a week doesn't mean you're going to get in shape. You need to work out every single day." And I kind of clicked, where it's like, "Well, I guess I need to do this every day to, to wrestle." And it just, I, it, it was programmed in my mind that I just because I needed to work out to wrestle because if I didn't work out, wrestling was going to be harder. So I, figured, I wish I more wrestlers thought that. Um, and that's all I thought. That's the only reason. And then it just grew, grew on that. And I could go on and on about fitness, but that's why I started in the first place. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. Um, so a year ago, I read that you had to have what could be career ending surgery. It was a hip injury. How did that happen? What was it? And what was the prognosis when you found out about it? So this, this was, it wasn't quite, so there was, there was a situation, uh, in 2016, we were heading to a show and we got into a car accident. Oh, okay. Uh, we were, we were passengers. So what happened then, it tore the labrum in both my hips. Okay. Um, so the labrum, like the tissue where the socket sticks, uh, it, it, it healed over time. And I did whatever to, to help recover it. The, the scar tissue was grinding the bone down. So walking and wrestling, which wrestling obviously didn't help. And just doing day-to-day stuff was grinding it down. So for about a year and a half, two years, kind of living like that, my doctor suggested, he goes, um, you're going to need surgery. Regardless, one day you're going to need a hip replacement. The goal now is to, to prolong how long we can do this because there's, there's no way around it. So if we do this labrum cleanup, whatever they do, the scope, it was going to prolong the surgery. So I got that done. And after about 12 weeks, uh, I started experiencing pain and it just never went away. Oh. So I went back to the doctor and I was like, okay, so obviously it didn't take or something's going on. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do some cortisone shots, x-rays. So they came back saying, I got a bone degeneration disease from the surgery. I don't know the science behind why, but basically when they cleaned it up, it ate away at all the cartilage. So now the bone is has not, no cushion. There's, it's just basically I'm walking. There's nothing I can do. It's bone on bone. So wrestling on that for two years, probably had like 300 matches uh, during that time. And then, um, so I was doing the cortisone shot and they told me I had cysts growing on the bone from the pressure and I couldn't do cortisone anymore. So then it became, you have no, no alternative, but you need the replacement. You need oh. it now kind of thing. So they, and you know, it, usually you hear stories like this and, and the doctor will be like, well, we, we you need the surgery, but we're not going to give it to you until um, you're whatever age kind of thing. Yeah. For me, my doctor, my surgeon told my, or talked to my doctor in private and go, you got to convince him to get the surgery. He's, he's going to need it. Like there's nothing. It, it's pretty bad. So he convinced me in the sense of like, well, do you want to have, a pain-free thirties or do you want to suffer as bad as, cause it was, it was to the point where like my hip would lock and it would click and the, and the, the amount of pain was, it felt like someone just stabbed me right in the center of my bone in my leg. And it would, it would be really, really bad. It, ha- it was starting to happen in matches. Yeah. And that's when I was realizing I need to get, cause I wasn't doing it in matches, but now that it started like every match, I was like, I need to do something about this. So they did the, so basically the pro I didn't really discuss like wrestling with them. And like continuing, I wanted to get the replacement done and everything. So the pandemic happened. So obviously I couldn't get the surgery, but they told me that I was going to be on a list with time served. So when things opened up in Alberta for like that summer, they got me in within four weeks. Oh, good. The surgery. Yeah. So yeah, they called me and said, yeah, we can get you in right away, right now. Or like next week if you want to. So it's kind of like, let's do it because I've been waiting, yeah. blah, blah, blah. The surgery went good, but. When they, when they woke me up from the surgery and then I started talking to the doctor after he, I started talking about the wrestling, he's like, Hey, like, I don't want to get your hopes up now, but you 
probably will not wrestle because like you never know because there's a chance that uh like this won't work there's a chance it still might pop out he goes there's a chance the bone might not heal correctly so wow he goes a lot of people recover from it but it's still a uh, high risk and he goes plus the impact of a bump like he was he seems like knowledgeable about it but like the impact of a bump is like what do they say like a minor fender bender yeah like yeah. 30 like, 35 yeah. miles an hour i think i've heard yeah that's what i heard too. yeah <sighs> so if you're sitting there and you take even two or three like even if i cut them back they're still going to be happening and it's just my style so yeah so yeah it was uh the most disheartening thing i've ever heard because i might have not got the surgery had i known that that was you know, it's a probably not knowing what I know now. It's probably a very good thing that you went forward with the surgery. You just recently announced you're going to get back in the ring. How so? Recovery has been amazing. Yeah, I'd say so. Like, oh, I, so most people that got hip replacement obviously are seventy year old old ladies or men or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I don't want to say there's not much science behind it, but but behind younger younger people, especially like athletic people and I've all, and people can say whatever they want, but another reason why I say training is so important when you train and are an athletic person, recovery from injuries just on a normal basis is, is always faster. So, um, at the start of the recovery, it wasn't all that quick or it felt like, cause they said, Oh, 18 weeks, you'll be back at work. And I was not even close, but the first six weeks, like, uh, I couldn't move. Well, I couldn't move. You know what I mean? I couldn't lift my leg higher than the front of my hip. So I had to use like a rope tie around my foot to pick my leg up and that kind of stuff. Wow. That was about six, six, seven weeks. Then, uh, uh crutches. Cause I could, I could bend my leg for a while for about six weeks, then a cane for about 10 to 12 weeks. And then it started happening really, really fast where I got better because they, so right around Christmas time, <clears throat> I, I was still using my cane as a precaution, but they told me you can start like try to train yourself to not walk with the cane. I started working out because I have a home gym. So I was working out at home kind of already. Yeah. I was starting to do rehab. And by the third rehab session uh, in January, my doctor, or my rehab goes, you should start hitting the gym now. I think you're ready. You just need to strengthen the muscle. And then once that happened, I took it easy. Everything started like within six weeks, I was back to where I was almost strength wise in a sense, with the exception of like squats, obviously, yeah. where I was before the surgery. And then within four weeks, I'm all of a sudden like my body percentage fat is as low as it's ever been, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, wow, things are really, like, really moving fast. And I think a lot of it maybe had, like, a lot to do with the recovery in the sense that I had so much time off. My body was able to just kind of relax because I never took any time off that. That's the longest break I've had from the gym ever, basically. So So you you managed to keep your size or you put it back? You got it back after you, Uh, you probably lost a bit of size, right? Yeah. Oh, so while I was recovering, I looked, I looked like I had, something you know i would look yeah. really sickly i had really skinny arms i i would say i mean i'm not as heavy as i was yeah but i'm definitely like my biceps are still the same size that's good my calves are still the same size that yeah. kind of stuff so i think in that regard like i kept because uh, like 10 pounds of muscle mass is significant but i think a lot of the 10 pounds i had was more of a water weight or a fatty weight because i lost i seemingly lost that so but at the same time if you fill out you look bigger mm-hmm. so i kind of want to have abs for a little while <laughs> then i'm gonna <laughs> then i'm gonna fill out and then i'm probably gonna gain my 15 pounds back and then i'm probably gonna sit around that way for a little while okay so tough question for you right now you're gonna get mm-hmm. back in the ring because that's what your heart tells you to do how safe will it be for you when you when you get into matches and you start having bobby sharp style matches where you tell a pretty great story and you put in 20 or 30 minutes 
Are you in, are you in danger of re-injuring yourself and, and doing damage to yourself? You know, like there's always that risk. I feel confident as far as, um, as long as it goes to plan that what I've been told that the strength that there is in the bone is able to withhold quite a bit. And yeah. if not as strong or stronger than it was before. Okay. So, but at the same time, I would say the risk is definitely higher if I to take a bad bump, where something that might not have been as bad before might be even worse now. I think the the plan is really just going to gauge how I go through the first couple of matches. The training has been going pretty good, but obviously, I'm, training isn't a match. Yeah. So I got to gauge how I feel, and I got to gauge because the moment I posted that picture, all of a sudden everybody uh, was kind of messaging me about doing shows and when I'll be back <laughs> and stuff, and and I want to commit to a lot of these dates because the July calendar is right there, but I want to get through this first. Cause like you said, maybe, you know, as, as gung ho as I am, maybe I will take that bump and maybe that'll be it. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. I do have that in, my, in the back of my mind. Uh, definitely. But I'm going to uh, just get through this first one before I even worry about, cause I'm pretty sure I'm going to start having Bobby Sharp style matches again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pulling for you. Like you wouldn't believe always been this great young man who's dedicated his life to the business, it will, it will be a great story to come full circle for you to come back as good as you ever were. You've done it in the gym. Now you got to be able to do it in the mm-hmm. ring. So I hope yeah. you're going to be safe and I hope it's going to work for you. But before we let you go, I want to ask you about the Cauliflower Alley Club. And mm-hmm. you were named the 2013. 13. Yeah. yeah. My, my math or my, my recollection is not bad. <laughs> Future legend award winner, right? Yep. You got it right. Yeah. How did that come about? So, uh, a lot of people have a kind of their own thought process about like who kind of pushed forward because the timing of it was very, uh, like we obviously know wrestling's political. Yeah. And then the time, I understand the timing of the timing of it was a political, a political move. But at the same time, um, just because there's those type of motives there doesn't mean that it wasn't like I just sat around and waited. Yeah. You know, I I tried to make contacts and I tried to show at least that, hey, I do kind of deserve this award. Like I wasn't going to just like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I want them to know that, hey, I'm going to, you know, be a professional in the locker room. I'm not going to go around and people are going to hear rumors about me being a piece of shit. I'm not going to be, you know, that type of guy. Yeah. So how it all started was um of all people bob leonard and me are really well, we're really close when he's still alive i still consider him i consider him one of my absolute best friends uh in the entire world so wow. bob leonard bob leonard yeah the photographer from Saskatchewan. yeah and he was the stampede yeah. wrestling promoter for a time and i think he even promoted mm-hmm. some early shows for wwf during the expansion if i'm not mistaken yeah, in, in saskatchewan yeah. whenever they did uh, yeah regina saskatoon uh, I don't know where else they would have ever ran, but yeah, those kind of shows. He was stuff. like and the local the, agent. Yep. The stampede Calgary shows. Yeah. All through the eighties and seventies. And he's also like, anytime you see uh, someone covering stampede wrestling and they have a photo, I guarantee you, you look in the corner and it'll say photo credit, credit Bob Leonard. Yeah. Guarantee you anything from stampede. Yeah. So me and him were, were talking and he had mentioned the, the cauliflower alley club. And this was, 2011, 2010, that mean him started becoming close and stuff. So we were talking about it and I agreed to go and it sounded like kind of interesting and all that. So I went in 2012 and I had an absolute great time. Like yep. the, you wrestle on shows, the connection, blah, blah, blah. I made a lot of contact and met a lot of people, got shows out of it, everything like that. So um, I could go on forever about them, but I won't at this point. I'm going to continue about, about this exact award. So then after that, at the same time, 
Vance Nevada was starting the CNWA. Yeah, so he was starting the CNWA, and there was a lot of discussion about, like, he was really trying to hype it through the national markets. And I think he did a pretty good job because I don't know what other people saw, but my notoriety, like, uh, outside Alberta, this is why anybody's ever heard of me. It was basically because this company getting behind me and pushing me in these magazines. And then all of a sudden, I'm in all the results that I'm in all the articles. They did write-ups and blah, blah, blah. It was all set up through this to advertise CNWA because I was wrestling for them full time. So this is important because me myself was and, and was, was being such a professional <laughs> helping the company in this regard that it, it's like when they view what a pro wrestler does, it's more than just the bell to bell. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's also how you act in the locker room. It's how you promote yourself and how you promote the business and what you do for the company and what you do for the crew. Ding, ding, Maybe ding. You, yourself, you get it. Yeah, maybe you yourself can put yourself over, but if you're putting over the show, you're helping everybody out. And if you're going to be the locker room leader or something like that, which is what, I mean, not that anybody said that to me. I wanted that role because nobody was taking that role. And I thought there was a lot of directionless shenanigans in Alberta that needed to be happening. So anyway, um, Bob Leonard was on the committee at CAC and he was pushing for me. No, I wouldn't say, I don't know how, how, how often, but they had, they had got my name onto the ballot. Because the discussion was, we can get the NWA notoriety by me just being nominated. Because I believe, God, I cannot remember her name, and I feel bad. It's not cheerleader Melissa, but there's another young lady that won the award after, but she was nominated as well. She was chasing Rance's ex-girlfriend. Santana Garrett. Ah, thank you, Santana Garrett. He's part of this story, too, in a sense. I don't know if I'll get to that part. but So anyway, Bob Leonard would, would push for me, and, and the discussion of what I was doing trying to help everybody out and what people were saying about me. They were bringing in names for me to work, blah, blah, blah. Um, they were putting me in the magazines, and it just seemed like my stock was rising. And then I was having conversations, or I had conversations that weren't wrestling related with other members of the board, not in the sense of like, you can say they're political, but I was just being friendly. Looking back on it, I can see they helped. At the time, I wasn't thinking this is going to help me. I just, you know, you see somebody at that convention, you want to go talk to them. So like Carl Laurel and all those guys, you go and talk to them and have discussions with them. Mm-hmm. You get more in contact. And I mean, like I loved all those guys. Yep. A lot of those people, I mean, Brian Blair, all of them. Yeah. They mean so much to me. So anyway, Bob's pushing me and Bob's pushing for me. And then finally, I guess, I don't know what went on behind closed doors, but the decision was made to give it, give me the award. And basically I owe it a lot, almost all of it to Bob Leonard. See, and, and almost all of it to him. As many people know, I assumed wrongfully as you're clarifying the record i've always thought you deserved the award obviously you're a, a, a tremendous talent but because didn't kyle sebastian get it the year before two years um i don't know when he got wasn't it, it yeah. kyle sebastian cat von he's and then you or was it no you were in the middle it was kyle yeah no kyle, it was kyle sebastian uh kyle matthews then it was me okay 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 so and did cat yeah. get it too or no no okay um, sorry my bad um the, the Canadian girl that got a version of it was uh, Matt, Maddie, Maddie. Oh, okay. Madison, Madison. Yeah. yeah. Miles. My, Madison Miles. There you go. Yeah. Got it. Madison got it. Miles got it. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah. So then see with the Kyle getting it, I knew I wasn't involved. I didn't know any of the workings. I don't know how, or, or how he was decided. I had heard that rumor too. I'd never really asked because I heard the rumor about myself as well. These things, we know what wrestling is. is still kind of a work even in these type of regards but for the people that it mattered to and the people that mattered to me it yeah. was important so that that's what matters so if people are like oh 
he didn't deserve it. He just got it because he was Matt's boy. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to convince him otherwise. Well, they can think that. So where I came from on that, because I was somebody who said that. I said he won the Vance Nevada <laughs> Cauliflower Award because right away yeah. Vance's company was CNWA and you got the, it, it all intertangled. Exactly. But, I, but the exactly. thing about that is at no point could it, could I argue that you weren't one of the most deserving people for it? Your talent speaks for itself. It's it like, I was a benefactor of Vance Nevada's pen too. I was in the PWI 500 ranked number four thirty, as I love to say every chance I get. <laughs> I love Vance for stuff like that. He has the ability to take somebody's raw talent and help explode it. What I had thought happened, and you're, you've said it didn't happen this way, but I thought here's Vance who found the guy who deserves something like this, and he knew how to make it happen. And mm-hmm. you know what? It doesn't take one ounce away from how much you deserved being known as a future legend in this business. Absolutely. And now we are nine years later, and you're going to come back from a horrific injury and a surgery that nobody else would even mm-hmm. try to come back from. Now, hopefully, the story comes full circle and completes, and hopefully you become not the future legend, but the legend who <laughs> who came back from a horrific surgery. That's what I hope happens. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. I mean, it's funny, even when it, when it comes to that, it's like, yeah, people say that kind of stuff uh, about, about him too, but he's done so much for, for helping me and, and like my confidence, uh, and most importantly, that I, I owe him so much, but people have that opinion and that's fine. I mean, I'll still remain friends with him for the rest of my life and I'll never forget at least because it, it, it was positioned in that way and taken advantage of. But I mean, it's still, I feel like you said, I appreciate you saying that because uh, I mean, I worked really, really hard with, for, to, to be, to be recognized. Yeah. I still appreciate that whole thing. And I mean, now, now it's the second chapter basically now coming back. Yeah, uh, I close. I close that. I close that one of trying to make a name for myself, and I hope this one's just going to be for fun. Yeah, I hope that nothing but success for you. Thank you so much, Bobby, for making the time today to come on the Total She Show. What an mm-hmm. and thank you for going so deep into the story of what you went through from the car accident until the end of the surgery, and now what you're about to embark on. I, I hope we can visit again on the show and talk about how you're mm-hmm. feeling and how it's going. Thank you. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bobby. 20-year Canadian indie wrestling veteran Rob Stardom has done it all. Wrestling in Japan, Mexico, and many places in between. But he's winding down his career. He's not done yet, though. Follow along on the journey of Canadian strong style Rob Stardom as he checks a few more things off his bucket list. Check out the Rob Stardom vlog on YouTube. Just go to YouTube.com and search Rob Stardom Vlog, and don't forget to leave a comment saying the Total B She's Podcast sent you. And I can't believe we've gotten to it already, Mike. The season finale of Heels, and we're bringing back a special guest for this one because he was so popular. So popular. We've got Scott Mason back with us from the Play Like a Jet podcast. Check it out on all of your favorite podcast platforms to find podcast purveyors out there. And boy, this was a great episode. This was my favorite episode. I'm coming right out of the gates and saying it. It was my favorite episode. And we'll, we'll talk about why. But boy, Mike, what's your overall impression? Just right off the, off the top, like what jumped out at you? 
I am extremely happy that there's finally a series about like a, a dramatic series about professional wrestling. That's why I wanted to talk about this for eight episodes. Uh, the season was great. They developed the characters. We have a love or a hate for almost every character on the show. It was dramatic. It was great. If you watched one episode and you gave it a chance and then two episodes by episode four, I loved the series and I had a, an understanding of every character. This was a perfect season for a dramatic show about professional wrestling, independent professional wrestling too. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, I really liked the show a lot. I had some quibbles with the way the season ended, but then again, it also opened up the door for some interesting possibilities for season two, which we'll get to. So I'm with you guys. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I like the fact that not only was it about wrestling, but as Mike said, it was about independent wrestling. It almost feels like a Friday night lights for pro wrestling kind of story. And I liked it. Well said. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're kicking off uh, this, this finale. Jack's hard work is finally, <laughs> finally coming to fruition. His hard work and his stupid decisions along the way are, are coming to fruition. The, the title of this episode is called Double Turn, which gives you a little indication about where we're going with it. Um, right off the bat, though, they dive right into the drama of the past. It starts with Tom... Tom Spade, King Spade, uh, and the boys in the yard, and, and they show Jack is play fighting with Ace and blah, blah, blah. But King Spade steps in, and he really... He's I abusive. Mean, like, yeah, I was just going to say, he's really just a child abuser, and I don't mean it in a sexual way. He just decides he's going to step in and abuse his older son because his golden boy was threatened. Yeah. I, I just thought, oh, but I mean, we've... I bet you Stu Hart had a favorite son. Yeah, I'm I not bet, saying he was mean to any one of the sons, but I guarantee he had a favorite son. I think everybody has a favorite. Yeah. I think we've talked about that before. I'm not comparing uh, child abuser to Stu Hart. Let me make that clear. <laughs> yeah. Because people are getting mad. <laughs> whoa, Mike. Whoa. <laughs> like to, I'm just saying Stu had a favorite son. I would like to just say that. I uh, bet you Fritz had a favorite son. Mike Davidson's. In fact, I know Fritz's express. favorite son. They're going to have that movie. Yeah. I hope they tell it properly that Carrie Von Eric, I believe, was Fritz's favorite son. Oh, that, that's right. So um, I, I felt like that was a great way to start the show. I mean, we, we were sort of revisiting something we've already established, but it's like, okay, yeah, we, we, we remember now. This yeah. is why Jack sucks. Yeah, exactly. All right, back in, back <laughs> in the, the present, the aftermath of Jack beating up Charlie Gully. Uh, of, of course, they're, they're at Florida Wrestling Dystopia. They're like, what do we do? How are we going to do this? They just decide we're going to go and, and mess with this big thing, this, they're going to go mess with the big fair show and uh, really, really get it under Jack's, Jack's skin. I thought that Rooster had a great handle on what would really upset Jack because he said, if you really want to upset Jack, you got to throw his plans out of whack. And if you really want to upset Ace, you got to make people boo him again or call him a crybaby or whatever. So he, he knew that obviously they were going to try and turn Ace Babyface again. So what would make them all really upset would be to get the crowd to cheer for Jack, which is not in his quote-unquote script, <laughs> and to get Ace booed and, and people throwing the tissues at him again, right? This really, this whole thing screamed Herb Abrams to me. <laughs> Here you go again. Totally envisioned. You give you give Herb Abrams a lot of credit. Last week you compared him to Paul Heyman, and tonight you're saying that he <laughs> would he would be the type of genius to know how to subtly 
subtly screw with jack spade and ace spade and it's true like thanks to what rooster said you can really mess with them because they were so committed to their creative direction ace wants to be the baby face jack wants it his way as he wrote it on a computer screen and once you disrupt that you cause them to get fighting like cats and dogs and it it absolutely creates chaos and can we talk about the most important part of the entire episode? All the right. The fact that our girl Stacy Spade finally wised up and was like, you know what, Jack, you're not the guy that I thought you were when I married you. And she is the one that calls BS on all of this because Jack and Ace are just unbelievable marks for themselves. Yep. And Stacy's the one that calls it, calls it all out and says, you know, she figures out what he did with the tissues and said, you're jeopardizing your relationship with your baby brother over this ridiculous script. And it doesn't matter. Like none of this matters. It's all a storyline. And in the process, you're screwing up your real life. And if you would do this to your baby brother, how, how would I know that you wouldn't do this to me or to our child? And so she decides she's had enough and she goes and stays at her friend's house for the, the bulk of this episode, which Again, she's the true hero of this. She's, to me, the most likable one uh, because, well, her and Crystal for different reasons, yeah. because she's the one that calls all, all the BS out and tries to remind people what's real and what's actually important. Well, when a civilian gets it, they will never understand the stupidity of the creative end of the wrestling business. <laughs> and that's what happens here. She she thinks real world and, and she's the common sense factor. And Jack is so stuck on wrestling world that he can't, because he, he's a mark for himself, he doesn't get it. And and that's it's going to cost him his marriage. Yeah, and that's the, that's the point that I was going to make, Mike, was that, you know, she calls him down, she takes him down to the dirt, and he really has nothing to come back with because he's out of his element. Like, he's stuck in wrestling world, and she's talking real world to him. So he's gotten, like... He was very sheepish. I've been around independent wrestling since 1995 when I was 16 years old. And I'll tell you right now, there aren't many girlfriends or, or wives who look like Allison Luff, Stacy Spade. Yeah, it's so easy. you, when you land a girl like that, you start putting her ahead of the business and you start thinking real world real fast. I want to know what you have next there, Chris. All right. So what I got next here is, uh, <laughs> is Crystal. We move on to Crystal. Oh yeah. The got, other hot one. You got, well, of course we got to move right on to her. She's. A little bit aimless. She doesn't know what she's going to do, but Bill presents her with an opportunity to be his uh, bunny bombshell. That's that's his roving uh, valet. He's always had a bunny bombshell. It's been different girls, usually strippers they allude to. Sounds like Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Dolls. With the Diamond Dolls, which she's not sure if it's going to get over with, with Jack. And Jack's, you know, he, he's controlling everything. If it's not his idea, it's, it's garbage. So she goes forth with it. They go for it. But boy, it's kind of touch and go there for a second. Well, it's her way back in. Yes, because she was on the outside looking in, uh, and it's on on um, Bill's part. It's it's the proper choice. This girl has got oodles of talent. She and actually Willie starts saying it too. Like everyone's saying, "Hey, she can do some yeah. stuff." And da 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 da. Her passion is what a booker should not ignore. Even if that passion pisses you off because it infringes on your creative view, you should never ever try to squash someone's passion. Because you had one vision and they didn't follow that vision. Um, and she looks like a, a million dollars. There's not many women who have that that look in wrestling who then also have the brains and the physical ability, ability yeah. to put it all together. So I think Bill realizing this actually added to what that triangle match main event was going to be. And it, and it added a lot of credibility to the character. 
Yeah, for sure. I thought exactly what, what Mike said is that, that that character really came into focus over the course of the eight episodes. I thought that Crystal started off as this kind of starstruck girl who was trying to get into the business and saw Ace as maybe her ticket to the big time. And then over time, you sort of started to see who she really was. Remember that scene with the, with the kids and the trampoline and then yeah. her trying to learn the business. And eventually you saw what she could do. I mean, we saw that Hurricane Rana in the parking lot, which is hilarious because could you imagine somebody trying to do a Hurricane Rana in a real world situation? It would be the most ridiculous thing on earth. They'd get murdered. But yeah. hundred percent. She'd land it on her head and she'd be in the hospital in a coma right now. But I think it was amazing that her character progressed the way that it did to the point where she had such a really cool ending and, and, and ended up being one of the heroes of the season. And, and you really saw, like you said, Mike, her passion for the business, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of somebody like Tammy Sitch in the sense that, and, <laughs> I mean, it's before, before all the bad stuff happened to Tammy, but yeah. if you go watch her when she was first coming up in the business at like, when she was doing Smoky Mountain with Chris yeah. Candido, her high school sweethearts and all that, she had this real, you could tell she really did love wrestling. She and, was a natural. Like, yeah, she was a natural, just like Crystal, and she was a great talker. I think Jim Cornette said she was, I believe his exact words were something like, she's me, but better looking or something, because he was talking about her being able to be a heel manager and talk. And you saw that with Crystal, that she really has that incredible potential. You add that with the look that she has, the passion for the business and her intelligence. And like you said, Mike, when you were promoting WFX, that would have been a golden ticket for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you know, the thing about T Tammy Sitch, I'm going to sidebar for one second. She, if it, if she never encountered the way that Vince Russo and Vince McMahon took a liking to Sable and pushed her to the second, that second rung on the ladder, I wonder how her career would have went because that almost was like rejection to her. Yeah. And I think that started to open the door that led downhill for her was she went from being the darling, the, the hot one, the best one to being yesterday's news very deliberately and i think that messed with her the psychology of her and i think that's part of where the whole downward cycle led to that and obviously there might have been some recreational habits that did that too <laughs> and the Shawn michaels relationship but there but just imagine being rising to the top of the ladder being a very natural woman who was just her boyfriend was candido she loved the business she ends up at the top of it and another version comes along that they like more and you don't take the rejection. Well, that was, that must've been very tough for her. What's the next point, Chris? Well, we move on to Ace who, who's sort of getting a little more layer added to him. We're seeing that he's very happy that he's going to be a face. Once again, he's ecstatic about that. <laughs> so he is actually going around town, baby facing. He's trying to make amends. With Gives people. that woman he gave, he stole the shoplift from and yeah. told her she was fat and nobody liked her. Yeah. Gave her free tickets. He gave her free tickets to the show. Cause he went in to make amends and, and she wasn't having it. And, yeah. and he was like, you should come to the show. And, oh, there's no tickets. If you get me some, I'll go. And, and he does. Yeah. He gets her some tickets. He he makes amends with her. He's really just going around town. He's really bought into this. I'm a face, so I have to baby face people. Yeah. He's, you see a direct effort on his part to be a more people person. I still want um, Crystal to end up with Bobby Pin. I just like the idea of the hot blonde with the impressionable young man. Yeah. Um, but Ace did become more likable in episode seven and eight. I get, I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. I I buy into him a little more after seven and eight. But, you know, for the first few episodes, and they designed it this way, obviously he was 
extremely unlikable for a baby face. Uh, <laughs> Scott, how did you feel about yeah. the, about the Ace arc in general? And you know, the past couple episodes, how they sort of they're kind of turning him in the in the viewer viewers' eyes. It's weird because you wonder to yourself, like you guys said, he's baby facing in public because he feels like he has to live the gimmick. And it's really just about that for him. Or if he truly understands the error of his ways and is trying to be a better person. And, and that's kind of what I was going through my head when I was watching this. You can't help but wonder because he so badly wants people to like him. But, the, but does he actually care about doing things for righteous reasons i guess it doesn't really matter in the end but i just kind of got a weird feeling when he was with that girl that he insulted and he had tried to steal from her and told her no one liked her and all that that he just wanted her on his side and it was less about like understanding that he had been such a bad person to her but i guess this is something that we're going to sort of see as season two begins because obviously Without getting into what happened at the end of the episode, something changes for Ace, and now we're going to see if he sticks to this whole, I'm going to try and commit to be a good guy thing. What a great point, too, because the thing about Ace is it was like one episode ago, he he tries to unprofessionally leave his brother's company and jump to the competition. So you're probably right that this is just a, what do they say, a lion is in a sheep's clothing or whatever? Yeah. What is that saying? <laughs> Sheep and lions clothes. Yeah, yeah something, something like, like that. that. Somebody yeah. correct me. I know I've got it wrong, but that's what Ace is doing. So, yeah, good point on your part, uh, Scott. We move on to the conversation between Jack and Stacy, which we've already spoke about. But there's a, a few layers here that I feel like people might not get because Jack fills her in a little bit on on Kingspade, how he really installed this mean streak in both of them. He was the one who who made them the way they are towards each other. Sounds like daddy issues to me. Well, that's exactly where I was going. Like, I, it just seems like these sure. these daddy issues that maybe you should have overcome by now as an adult man yourself, and your father's been dead for. I don't know if they say, it but it doesn't seem like, like it's been that long. Not like maybe a couple years, two years. I don't years, even maybe. think it's that long, but yeah. But by this point, you probably should have overcome these sort of daddy issues that, that you have. Well, and that ties into Fritz von Erich. You know, I, I heard a story. Uh-huh. I don't know if this really happened, so I'm not, I want to be very <laughs> careful we, to go. specify. Yeah. And, and someone's going to hear this and want to rip my head off if it's wrong. And if it's happened, somebody will confirm it. But I heard one time Bruce Hart kicked Stu Hart in the nuts from behind. And you talk about what must have been an issue with a father, right? So maybe that's common that, that you know, these guys, the sons in the wrestling business have always had big shadows to fill. Greg Gagne had to fill Vern Gagne's, you know, amazing shadow. And, and other than Brett, no one, the other Hart boys had a hard time with Stu's shadow. Maybe that's part of what it is for Jack and Ace. Sons and fathers, man. Sons it, and fathers. Yeah. It's always going to be an issue. What were uh, what were the daddy issues you noticed, Scott? Man, first of all, can we all agree that Tom Spade was an absolutely horrendous father? Terrible. <laughs> a terrible father. Absolutely destroyed these kids. But I, I'm with Mike on this in that as I watch this, and part of this is because I'm a huge world-class mark. It's my favorite promotion of all time. But I was a huge fan of not only the Von Erics, but the heels too. I love Skandar Akbar. Um, but the thing about it is like all the stories you heard about Fritz and you talked about this, Mike, look at what happened with those kids, right? I mean, Mike Von Erich 
wanted nothing to do with the wrestling business. He had no talent for it. He didn't want to wrestle, but he was a Von Erich. And so you get out there and you do your thing. And then he got the toxic shock syndrome and they forced him out there with 105 degree fever and all this crazy yeah. stuff. And eventually he just couldn't take it anymore. And we know what, how it ended for yeah, him. Very sad. Yeah. And then David Von Erich trying to live up to the pressure of being the, the heir to Fritz and then Carrie and everything just, was brutal and and you know I, look I don't want to kick salt in the wound for for somebody like Kevin Von Erich who's still alive and, and all that but all the stories you heard I could not help but think about Fritz Von Erich and all those stories with the Von Erich boys when I was watching throughout the season the stuff that Tom was doing with with Jack and Ace. Moving on from there, uh, of course, the conversation between Stacy and Jack is a little bit heated, and she's basically saying, you can make some progress with your brother if you start telling him the truth, and then they sort of leave it in limbo because she intimates that, like, you could lose me. This could, ha you could lose me, this could be it. And they sort of leave it in limbo from there, which was great in a way, like, you know, part of me is like, you know, I want, I want a little bit of finality here, I want to know what's going on, but also it's like a cliffhanger, like, I'm like, okay... Now I got to I got to tune into season two and find out what's going to happen with that. Um, we'll start with you, Mike. Uh, that that particular part of the show, I felt like it, it was right up your alley. If I had, I, I dated some really attractive girls when I promoted wrestling, and I often put wrestling, my commitment to wrestling and running wrestling, to, ahead of what the girl's best interests were, or what she wanted. So when you lose a girl, you kind of owe it to yourself. Now. Wouldn't it be interesting in season two if Stacy becomes separated, estranged from Jack and was to date a different character, maybe Rooster? That would be amazing. Or maybe, I can't see it being Charlie Gully, but, you know, <laughs> or or even like Ricky Raby's character or something like that. I think that would add something to the mix here where she actually, because when I ever had a hot girlfriend, all the wrestlers tried to add her on Facebook. And I used to have a rule. If you start adding them, you can't, I don't want to date you. You go date them because I wanted to keep my girlfriend separated from the boys as best as possible. But if that happened, ever happened to me where a girl dumped me and went to one of the other boys, it would have made my skin crawl. I, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. But if they're going to divorce or whatever, it's going to suck for Jack in season two. And Scott, what do you think? Do you, do you think that's a possibility that we see a divorce angle in this show? I, it could be. I mean, I think they'll probably start the next season with the two of them separated. And uh, a couple of things. First of all, I think we can all agree, boys, that Stacey Spade would be the hottest free agent in all of Duffy. Uh, she will have men knocking down her door. She'll, you know, it'll be uh, a feeding frenzy. If she puts herself on Match.com or whatever, <laughs> she, she's going to have every guy within 100 miles of Duffy, uh, you know, taking a shot. But I, I think what you said is a hundred percent true. Like she wants to live a normal life. It almost reminds me of if you guys saw wrestling with shadows Yeah. when Julie Hart says to Brett something like, I'm tired of this. When do we get to be normal? And eventually she just got tired of waiting and left Brett. And you wonder if maybe that's, you know, on a smaller scale, because obviously Brett Hart is a massive star worldwide and, Jack is just a local indie promoter who sells lawnmowers, but still the same idea. He's got to decide what's more important to him. And truth of the matter is he can have both. He just has to relax, let the reins go to somebody. Like I would, if I were him, I would probably have uh, Willie more involved in, in helping with the booking and Agreed. all that stuff. She, yeah. She's 
willing to do it. She knows what she's doing. Um, you can trust her, right? And then, like you said, um, he's got to decide whether or not he, his wife and his child are the highest priority beyond trying to grasp onto the last vestige of what his father's dream was, which in all reality is not anything close to what he's trying to chase a ghost at this point. His father ran this thing successfully for years. Then eventually it took a downturn and that's when Tom took his own life. And I I, I think in some way, Jack just doesn't want to admit that it's a glorified indie show and that's all it is now. It's not the same thing it used to be, but in the process of chasing that ghost, he may chase away the best thing in his life, which is Stacy. And by the way, I would like to throw in just because I think it would be the funniest combination you could possibly come up with. Stacy with Wild Bill in season two. <laughs> <laughs> hey, am I sorry to backtrack here? Am I the only guy thinking that Julie Hart batted way over her head when she landed Brett the Hitman oh, Hart? Completely. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the most lopsided marriage I ever saw. Yeah, 100%. And no disrespect to Julie Hart. <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect. She it, was doing good for herself. It, it's pretty hard to not disrespect somebody when you just said what you said. <laughs> What's true? <laughs> um, all right, so we're at the end of the show, and it's the big event. I mean, this is the main event. This is the ladder match with Wild Bill, with, with uh, Bunny Bombshell around, with Jack and Ace. Uh, and Bobby, Bobby Pin as a referee. I was very happy to see this. I was very happy to see Bobby Pin get involved in the episode. Uh, I know you were Mike because that's your absolute favorite. Bobby's character. my boy. Bobby's Mike's boy. So earlier in the, in the in the episode, I forgot to mention this. It's not a huge point, but while Bill is scoring drugs um, and he needs some heavier duty drugs, so he's taken some heavy duty drugs before this match happens. That's something that's kind of important because it, it kind of it feel, I feel like it comes to play a little bit later. But the the, the match is I mean, it's a typical ladder match. I mean, we don't need to go into that three way ladder match it's is a, not typical. It's a, it's three, a cluster F. Uh, all ladder matches are three ways now. There's very rarely a one on one ladder match. That's why they aren't very good. You're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So uh, they go through the match, and at at some point, while Bill craps his pants yeah. in the ring, which, by the way, is not uncommon. It's something that a lot of wrestlers have stories about. I did not do it, if you're going to ask that, Mike, but I know there's a lot of wrestlers out there that have stories of that of that happening. So he's, he decides he's going to play dead on the apron because I, I can't remember how he put it, but it was so poetic and, and, and amazing, actually, like... Who, who who mixes poetry into I just crap my pants other than Wild Bill. Um, so, so at this point, the brothers are on top of the ladder. They're fighting back and forth. And this is when it comes out. Uh, well, Charlie, comes out Charlie, literally. Yeah, Charlie Gully plants Kleenex in the audience. He gets them to start throwing it. He gets them to chant Jack's name to 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 mess up the, the, the big turn. And this is when they're at the top of the ladder and they have the heart to heart on top of the ladder. And... and and Ace is like, did you do this? And and he's Jack's like, not this time. And that's when all hell breaks loose. So Ace has an unhealthy need to be a babyface. He would be a very, very good heel to me. He looks more like a heel than a babyface. And that's the whole like conflict of the season is that Ace wants to be a babyface and Jack sees him, you know, the way Jack sees him. This whole climax of... And Bill crapping his pants, not uncommon. How old is Bill? 50-something years old? Must be, yeah. So he takes the pills just to make sure he can keep his body, like, so his, he, he can deal with the pain of the match. Yeah. And then he's dizzy, and then he craps himself. It leads to the big 
swerve, right? Yep. The the big surprise. And and um I honestly thought that what they were gonna do is, you know, get the belt on ace going into season two, but they go a different direction and the heart to heart was what it was. It wouldn't happen in a real match. No. Like and a guy wouldn't realize the turn was happening at like that. Like you, you wouldn't realize you don't have the the fans with you. You might figure that out, but you wouldn't think, oh, well, there's a conspiracy to turn me here. And as it was, it was the the dystopia guys. But I was kind of that's a lot of, a lot of creative in one match. And Scott, uh, b- before we get to your your impressions on that, where did you think they were going to go with this match? Because Mike just said that he thought they're going to put the belt on Ace. Where did you think before you saw this that they might go with this? Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I thought they were going to put the belt on Ace. But me personally, and Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as somebody who actually was a booker. I felt like the better move would have been to put the belt on Bill just because he's the name. He could draw you in. And if you're going to try and make Ace the babyface, Ace chasing Bill, who's this big name, if Ace conquers him, he gets the rub of having beaten this legend, this guy who's larger than life in the area. So that's where I would have gone with it. But I, I, I thought the same thing as Mike. I thought they were going to go into season two with Ace as the babyface champion, and, and that's how they were going to start the next season. So I would look at it, if you can get Bill way over as a heel and get him to win the belt on a swerve, maybe the dystopia guys cause so much havoc that Bill wins in the in the process and it looks like dystopia helped bill win and you can turn that into an angle and then have ace chase would have been great because now you have a conquering heel the char- a character that people had a hard time liking outside of the family leave as champion would really work but i thought you know usually the happy ending is the big crescendo of the baby face conquering all at the end i didn't anticipate what they did yeah so they're at the top of the ladder uh, they have the heart to heart. They 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 do the admissions, and Ace just beats the holy crap out of Jack. He punches him, shoot punches him off the ladder, and then just lays the boots to him, beats him up real bad. And finally, Crystal has to get in the ring. She has to get in the ring and t- because nobody's coming out, nobody stop, nobody knows what to do. And while Bill's too busy worrying about his crap pants to get off the apron, <laughs> so uh, she gets into the ring and and she she shows what she can do. She throws a hurricanrana to Ace, and then Jack sort of gets up sheepishly, and I thought this was a very, very good point in the match because it was very, it was almost emotional because Jack said, you have to take care of me out there. It showed a vulnerability that I don't think we've seen from Jack before. And uh, and she she does, I didn't like the standing suplex. I'm just going to say, he she's like, I can suplex you. And he said, really? And she's like, yeah. And she does a standing suplex, I would have bought a snap suplex. I did not buy a standing suplex because she's like ninety pounds soaking wet holding a brick. Sure, but if he but if he posts properly, she would be able to do it. I don't know though. Not 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 the, the amount vertical? of vertical. The not the amount of stall there yeah, was. There maybe. was a lot of stall. Like she could maybe do it, but like right over. Yeah. Like there was a lot of stall in that. Fair enough. That's just my opinion. Okay. As somebody who's and then? who's actually given one of those before. And then and, and then we get to the, the crescendo, as Mike called it, that nobody saw coming. No. She's she's climbing the ladder. She gets the ladder. She's climbing the ladder. And then we see the dystopia guy, Charlie Gully. He's like, I'm going to get the belt. Well, he comes running down, and while Bill gets some redemption for himself, you know, he was a cowardly cowardly heel laying there on the apron with his poopy pants. <laughs> um, but he sees, it, he, he sees it coming. He gets up, and he meets him with one hell of a lariat. Yeah. And just lays him out. And then? And then Crystal 
ascends the ladder and takes the championship and belt. And she's the new champion. No, she's not. She was not an official part of the match. That's where they have to go with it. I can't. How how do you how do you how do you who's put, booking this? Dusty Rhodes <laughs> well, how or do you put, actually Vern Gagne? How do you put yeah? How do you put the belt on somebody who's not in the match? Well, so you, now you think they're going to come back season two and a title is going to be vacant? I think it's going to be vacant. I, I I don't know how you do it. Other, I mean, honestly, I'm talking like it's a real promotion again. Yeah. But like, I don't know how you how you justify that. Well, you have her be the champion and have her become this no. huge star and have the corporate s- wrestling trying to recruit her. Suddenly it's a 24-7 title and anybody can run in. No. She- See, the whole thing is, is Jack didn't respect her all season one. So if she starts season two as the champion, Jack's got to kiss her ass to keep her happy as his top draw. Right? But there's no way that happens. Why not? There's no, there's no way though. There's no way he does it. His ego... Jack's ego? Yeah, no. but it, you can have the storyline come... So, okay, so she's the champion. She had the belt at the end of the season one scene, correct? Yes. Yes. There's no title held up. You don't come back vacant. Possession is you, not nine-tenths of the you law You come with back Mike. with her as the champion and the biggest star in the company, and Jack has to then kiss her ass because he treated her like car- garbage. He was dismissive to her. He didn't value her all through season one. I, I and like now he's got to s- pander to her to make her want to be the top draw in, in Duffy wrestling. I like what you're saying, but I think any wrestling fan, I know it's not a real life thing, like it's a show, but any wrestling fan is just going to fart all over that. What are you going to draw most with? Well, it's not about what you're going to draw most with. If you were, if, so let's play real life for a minute. Okay. If you're the promoter and this is how the show ended and you got a monster pop on the finish, you're coming back with her as the champion. And then you're, you're booking out of that with, with her as the champion and the top draw. I think you. Short term, but it would work. I think you book her as the champion when you come back, but Jack comes out and strips her because. She was not an official part of the match. You might be right. And you have her work her way back up to it. Yeah, you might be right. Scott, yeah, Scott, what do you think? Settle this argument. I got to say, I agree with Chris. I don't understand. Like, I I was happy for Crystal, but it just seems so Vince Russo-like. Somebody (laughs) out of nowhere jumps in and takes the belt. And now, like like Chris said, what is this, the 24-7 title? Like, anybody can just... Like, could Bobby Pin have just decided I'm not the ref anymore? I'm going to climb the ladder and take the title. That like, been a great swerve. Just, oh, hundred percent. But it just that bothered me a lot. Like, I like I was happy for Crystal, and I think w- what Mike said is totally true. That's a cool story, and and her being his top draw and top attention getter for sure. But the title belt, like, I just I can't wrap my head around. Like you said, Chris, everyone knows it's a work and all that, but. It, I come back to what Jerry Jarrett used to like to say. It, it can be far-fetched, but it can't be impossible. And it just seems impossible huh? to me. If it was real, huh? Uh, that uh, if it was real, that he would, that, that she could just climb the ladder. And, and like, if it was like a UFC fight, she's just going to randomly jump in when somebody, when both guys are down, make them both tap out, take the belt or something. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe Chris is overthinking yeah. it, but that's so am I now. <laughs> that's the best it's, part it's about this. The cliffhanger is where do they go next? And that's what's got us all excited. And that's why season two is going to yeah. rock. All right. So turnbuckles, I'm giving it 11 and a half turnbuckles. On the episode or the season? The episode. Okay. Uh, why Scott, don't you ever let this guest go first? Let's go, Scott. Scott next. <laughs> 
I'm going to say 11 turnbuckles just because I was bothered by the whole anybody can just grab the belt thing. <laughs> Me too. But yeah, I did really like the episode, and, and I like Stacy being the voice of reason again, and I like Crystal having the happy ending. So I'll, I'll go with the left. And also, Wild Bill doing something selfless for once. Yeah. Risking the embarrassment of people seeing the crap in his pants. Okay. I don't give half turnbuckles because there's no such thing in a wrestling ring of half turnbuckles. So I'm going to go a whole number. <sighs> I'm going to give 11, even though I could easily edge that up to 12. As a season finale goes, it did what it needed to do. It yeah. tied up all of the story. It's... It, also set the the cliffhanger what we're talking about what's going to happen in season two and that's what the season finale has to do and they did such a good job from character from beginning to end with willie with rooster with uh bill with ace with jack with crystal with stacy even with even to the lesser degree with charlie gully and bobby pin and i just think that this episode was a perfect climax 11 is what i'm giving it all right, boys. So now turnbuckles for the season. There's the season. And now let's just do it as an encompassing season. Um, Guess goes let's first. Let's start with Scott this time. I'm going to say 10 out of 12. Woo! Because I thought it was it was a really good season, but it had its bumps and bruises. Sure. And it found its footing toward the end, but there was some rough stuff at the beginning that made me take it down a little bit for the overall season grade. So I'd say a 10 out of 12. Excellent. All right, uh, I will go with 9 out of 12. Uh, one, one, even Lauren Scott, and it's for the same reasons he just mentioned. You're a hard ass. And I, went, I, I dropped one turnbuckle rating right off of it because of the, the, the finale with her winning the belt. Honestly, that bothers You're me not, so much. Yeah, I had somebody else text me that they said that it was good up until that point. Yeah, like that dro- That dropped one turnbuckle. It would have been 10. <laughs> that dropped off one turnbuckle. So I'm going 9 out of 12, which is I still amazing. It. Imagine if you're, you're, you know, rating other shows, 9 out of 12 is a good rating. So yeah. I, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not, it's not a 12 out of 12. It's not even an 11. It's yeah. a 9. I'm going to say this. Television, a dramatic television series about independent wrestling, something I've lived, something you've been a part of. Scott, you've followed it. It's so, like, on the scale of things that are important to people, independent wrestling barely registers. You would, I haven't seen a, a dramatic TV series about NASCAR. I haven't seen a dramatic TV series about arena football. I haven't seen a dramatic TV series about so many things in life that are more, that have a bigger following. This worked so well because for people who don't know it, I hope that they watched heels and they think, Oh, I'm going to go check out my local independent wrestling show because it's probably like heels. If it did that, it accomplished everything. I'm giving the season 12 out of 12 oh turnbuckles. Gosh. Wow. Because even though I nitpicked, I didn't like this character and I didn't like this and I didn't like that. As a whole, total package, it's picked up for a second season. It generated interest in the industry. I'm giving it the full 12 because it did what it had to do, and I enjoyed the. I enjoyed it a lot. So 12 out of 12. There, there we go. go. I'm the baby face. 9, 10, and 12 turnbuckles. Unbelievable. Boy, Scott, thank you so much for coming on with us once again, and I really hope that you'll come on with us for a couple episodes for season two. I know you're going to get busy with the NFL season looming about two months away, but you're always welcome to come on. We're going to be talking about WFX so in a deep dive about the business end of it, how much it costs per TV episode. That's going to start soon. And maybe if we talk about mainstream wrestling more, I'd like to get you on a lot more often, Scott. You're a good friend of the show. 
Guys, it was an honor and a privilege to be on to talk about heels. I'm really looking forward to season two. I hope we can do some more of these when that happens. And like you said, Mike, I'm happy to come on and talk anytime about uh, the w, uh, when you guys do a WFX deep dive because I, <laughs> I have a lot of questions about where certain things were going and uh, certain, what was going on in certain storylines at the time as well. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to when you guys do that and would love to talk about that. And if you guys ever want to talk about world class, obviously, yeah, and, um, you know, mainstream wrestling, anything you guys ever want to talk about, I'm always down for a fun conversation. If you want to talk about the CFL, you might have to tutor me first, <laughs> but, uh, happy to talk about that too. Uh, you, everybody can find my podcast. If you're interested in the NFL and specifically the New York jets, I do seven days a week of brand new content. It's called play like a jet. You can find it anywhere where you download podcasts. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet, play like a jet.com. And that's where you can find me uh, play like a jet one on Twitter as well. And by the way, gentlemen, before I go, I just wanted to say congratulations. If my math is correct, and I'm pretty sure that it is, I believe that. And I, and I will credit Wayne Stanton with this primarily with his incredible guest appearance. I believe the Total BC show is now listened to by more people than watch AEW Dynamite. <laughs> oh, I love it. True story. Definitely more than Rampage. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Scott. We loved having you on. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. It's important on the Total Beaches podcast that I put people over and give them shout outs. My friend Curtis Housen, who's a proud sponsor of the show, www.firstrow.ca, is opening up a physical location yeah. in Winnipeg. His collectibles are amazing. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Barry Windham autograph picture with the old JCP US title. Right. That's sold instantly. I don't I wonder if they use the the promo code BSHES. That's what you have to do. Save 10%. So yeah. check it out. Firstrow.ca because it's a Canadian website, A. Eh? I spend too much time on that website. Like I'm looking through things and I'm adding things to cart and it's like yeah. oh, it's like Amazon. You start adding things to cart and then you're like Whoa! Yeah. You're like, what have I done here? Like, I'm gonna clear out Housen's shelves. Well, make sure you which, use Bishies. I will use the the, the code Bishies. Yeah, ten percent off. There you go. Um. So anyway, Chris, let's move. Let's move. Let's on. hear some questions. Yeah, we, I, I'm ready to answer your questions. We've got the inbox open. All right. Question number one from Dave. Mike, did you ever have to deal with big names no showing you and absconding with the airfare? No. It sucks when that happens. It sounds like the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so December of 2005, we, so in October of 2005, we had Billy Kidman come in and we booked, we liked him. He was great. So we booked him back two months later for the return and we sent him airfare and we sent somebody to the airport to pick him up. Wow. And he never showed. <laughs> and coincidentally, I bet you if you did some digging, because that's sort of what I've been led to believe, 
That has something to do with the timing of him and Tori Wilson I bet. ending their marriage. I bet. And I got to be honest, I don't hate Billy Kidman for that because Tori Wilson is a 10. <laughs> yeah, losing Tori Wilson is a pretty I big would deal. probably miss a couple of dates, my, like wrestling shows myself, if that was my wife and I'm not going to be able to sleep next to that much longer. Huh. Well, Mike, I'll tell you what, like if Tori Wilson called me up right now for some reason and was like, tell Mike to get out of there and never speak to him again, we would never see each other's faces. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Billy Kidman was one of them that I can think of. Another one that hurt was that same night, Lex Luger was supposed to be in Winnipeg. Huh. Lex Luger, this is a, it's a famous story. My name is synonymous with Lex Luger going to jail. Yeah. Um, so Lex Luger got on a plane. So we had Lex Luger come in in October, no problem. And the whole thing was he did the commissioner role and announced who was going to wrestle the Steiner brothers who were coming in in December. So he does this promo and he's, and all he, all the roster gets called to the ring. So Lex can announce which two guys are going to take on the Steiner brothers. And we did segments leading up to it where it was called lobbying Luger. And, uh, I remember this. Yes. Yeah. And so then the whole, this, the big uh, payoff is that Luger is going to announce it on the, ne- on the last episode of that block of TV. And he announces that it's going to be buff Bagwell and the total package Lex Luger against the Steiners as a main event. Yeah, definitely. You're, that's money all over it. Right. In 2005. So Lex and buff got on a plane connecting plane in Minnesota. And I got a phone call at like 11 o'clock at night. And they're blaming each other for why they got kicked off this oh plane. My God. Apparently they started being hard, hard to deal with for the flight attendant and the air marshal got called and they got escorted off the plane. And so and Lex is like, it's buffs. It's Mark's fault. Mar- if, if Marcus said it just been appropriate and then Mark, Mike, I'm sorry. It was, it was all Lex. <laughs> so they're blaming each other. So I, uh, and there's a report that Scott Steiner was on the plane. I picked up Scott Steiner that night. Yeah, what a guy, great guy. Because Scott, Scott would, but kept I don't himself. remember Scott saying, "Hey, I was on the plane with him." But I, you know, my memory—it's 2005, right? Anyway, so Scott got in. Next day, Buff gets in, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And Customs isn't going to release Lex Luger, and they're not even confirming that Lex is there. Right. Um, I actually might not, I wasn't at the building, but somebody, uh, Jeff Dick was waiting for Lex and he's like, he's not coming through. And apparently they ran his passport and he had a active warrant. Right. So they, they wouldn't tell me anything. I managed to get on the phone with them and they just, and Lex called me and he's like, Mike, it's not my fault, but I'm not going to be able to come through. It's it, you didn't file the right paperwork, but I didn't file paperwork. It's a long story. But anyway, Lex got sent back to Minneapolis, had to wait in jail a few weeks and then a got, few weeks. Yeah. And then got sent to Atlanta wow. and it had, I can't, I think it had something to do with child. He hadn't been paying his child, his child support and he ended up in jail through Christmas. It was kind of sad, but yeah. So Lex Luger, that's another one. And then, uh, Bret Hart had his stroke. We had a book for PCW boiling point in summer wow. of 2002. He had the stroke in like June. We were booking him in July and then it took us a week. People, uh, no one was confirming he wasn't going to be there when you don't know how bad the stroke was. Right. Right. So we were waiting a week and then we ended up having to replace him with the Legion of doom, hmm. which was the, probably the fine. most famous, uh, the most famous name I ever booked was either Steiner's or LOD take your pick or 
yeah, Eddie Guerrero. So anyway, so it happens. Um, I, I was at the airport for Danny Duggan when Vader didn't get through. Right. Uh, Abyss also didn't get through. Sometimes border patrol just kicks the guy out if they're not honest. Right. Yep. Um, cause they'll, they'll say, what are you here for? And they'll know full well, sometimes always know, know. F- full well what yeah. these guys are, are here for. They're here to wrestle or yeah. make, and it always comes down to like, you're not paying taxes or some weird, like it's so weird and convoluted sometimes. No, here's what it is. Canadian. So when you book an American to come in to wrestle, they're considered a performing artist. They're allowed to cross. Yeah. They just have to say, I'm here to wrestle. No problem. Go. <laughs> But they always try to kayfabe because they think the border's going to pull a fast one on them. So they try to d- avoid it. Yeah. Happened with Larry Zabisco. So Larry had been in three times for us. And so I get a call from Larry and he's like, Mike, they're not letting me in. And, and so they, I said, let me talk to the, to the customs guys. I said, he's allowed to come through. He's a performing artist. Well, actually, he said he's, he's a consultant for your company and he's employed and he's the commissioner. And I said, no, 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 no. He's a performer. He's, he's, he's not actually wrestling, but he's a very vital performer to the event. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that he's in the executive. <laughs> well, the commissioner is like a. Yeah. So, so they thought we had hired him as like a full-time permanent employee right. and that we didn't get a visa for him. So they're like, he would need a visa for that. And I was like, he does not need a visa. He's no. getting a performance fee. He's a performing artist. And, and so I got hot. And this is like 11 o'clock at night. And I said, send him back. I don't care. Send him back. Yeah. I'll rewrite the whole show. And then finally they let Larry out because they didn't want to have to send him back. And, and it was a discrepancy because Larry was just, he didn't know how to answer the question. And right. he, he was trying to explain it. And the guy got a little overzealous. So it happens. But outright no show, Billy Kidman's the only one that comes to mind. All right, moving on. Oh, wait. I, well, I, I remember the New Age Outlaws no-showed Prince George for New Wrestling Nation. I was the booker. But it was through TNA booking, like Brian Wittenstein yeah. and Bob Ryder. And they were... So I told Dan King, get them on a flight the night before. And he pushed hard, but TNA was saying, no, they're going to fly out the morning of. So they were going to fly from Florida to Prince George, BC, which was That's a, a long hellacious flight. travel day. So they just, they never showed up. Okay, moving on. We have one from MJ. MJ says, I keep hearing that there's going to be a total B-She's promotion startup soon. Is there any truth to this? Oh, yeah. And I get this all the time too, Mike. So I, I'm I'm curious myself because you'd think I would know. But, you didn't but, hear? But you keep me in the dark yeah, about a lot of things. Yeah, we got TV so. and everything. Oh, well, right on. Yeah, yeah. I've got him. I've got it. I've actually had somebody ask me if I've got the itch to run wrestling and if I wanted a backer. I'm drawing up my contract right yeah, now, by the and way. And I was like, ah, I, it, what a... So re- here's the reality. I'm going to say this every episode that we talk about this. Because we've talked about it a yeah. few times, but if it's I not was going to do a wrestling head. show, I wouldn't call it Total B She's Wrestling. The reason I called the podcast the Total B She's Show is what do, what is it what is the podcast? Two people getting together to yeah, be She's, right? Just she's yeah, and I'm a B She'ser. I like to tell B She's stories. Um, but the reality of uh, nobody understands how much trouble you and I have just getting together figuring out what night we're going to get together to produce the podcast. Yeah, like we're both extremely busy individuals, yeah. so like it, like I was saying, the mental gymnastics that we have to go through just to get this recorded yeah. is insane. And anytime I've ever run a wrestling show, it's been all-encompassing. So since 2000, even in 2002, when I worked for PCW, I was a, a salaried employee. It was my full-time job. Andrew and I had full-time deals. 
And then when we didn't have that full-time salary, that's when it became harder for him and I to ever be on the same page because the amount of work in and the, the sacrifice when you don't have that, that nest egg. And then in 05, when AWE started, Jeff Dick put me on an immediate contract to be paid per, like, per month. And then in WFX, I was paid a salary. And that salary actually didn't run out until probably 2015, although we stopped running shows in 2010. Then we did the Big Brother party. I booked a UFC extravaganza. Like, I didn't book UFC, but we'll talk about that another time. But I had a fan sit in Dana White's personal section with uh, Matt Hughes. Right. Not an easy thing to do. But even if a backer came to me and said 300,000. I'd say, no, I don't think I could do what needs to be done with $300,000. I, the level that WFX was, and we're going to start talking about that was so sky high that unless that was, unless there was some business plan that said, we're either going to be growing to that and I could see it, or we're starting at with that level. Then I, then I might look at it might, but today, no, not a chance. I'm involved very heavily with a CFL team. I run a spirit Halloween. I help run a spirit Halloween franchise. I, I work with foster kids on the side. I do this podcast. I have a life. There is nothing that's going to lead to me being able to run a wrestling company to the level that I would want to run it. Fans, I'll say this. If I was putting my name to a product, it would either be at the level that WFX was in 2010 or there would be a plan to get to that level. So, and this, and I'll tell you something else. I've had one or two people ask, hey, you know, you seem to be interested and engaged in wrestling again. Would you like to maybe, you know, would you be open to the idea of either consulting or, you know, helping with the book or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I, I was very clear with this podcast, I would not want to be in conflict with a bunch of promoters. Yes. Because I know what it's like when Mike Davidson says he's going to run every promoter who, th- who thinks their product is special now knows, oh, he's going to, he's going to raise the, the production value or he's going to raise the amount of names coming in or he's going to, and he's going to keep the ticket price at a rate that they, they just don't get it. Yeah. Right. And, and they say, oh, he doesn't care about losing money. I'll talk about that when I talk about WFX in the coming weeks. People who think I had endless money and didn't care about the loss, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I'll talk about the economics of WFX, and I'll talk about how we built the roster, and I'll talk about what it cost per episode to run broadcast quality television. And they'll say, oh, he's full of crap. But I'm not. I was there. I lived it. Sorry to go on a rant. No, that's okay. But my interest right now is not to promote. I've made that clear. I'm going to run a Total Bishi's show launch party this year. And it's going to be where people get together a whole range of the fraternity of brothers and sisters who are involved with local wrestling or promote or independent wrestling. It won't just be locals and it'll be, and we're going to get together and be she's and yeah. sponsors can come. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a party, but I am not interested in running a wrestling show. Asked and answered. And I think Mike, that might be the best place for us to end off the show today. Yes. I mentioned that you should check out www.firstrow.ca. I want you to get on our Instagram at, at uh, total Bishis. I want you to get on our Twitter at total, at total Bishis. Right. Search total Bishis show on YouTube. Watch 13 episodes of WFX overload. So you can understand what I'm talking about, how we built one of the best rosters in wrestling for way less than TNA was running at that time. And uh, better than ring of our roster was probably more recognized than ring of honor. Um, and you should check us out on Facebook 
search the Total Beasties show. And with that, Glenn Goza. Yeah. R-A-S-S-L-I-N. That's wrestling. That's the only way I know how to spell that word. <laughs> this song. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock? I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Eriks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late, I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?